we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, ah, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, Lahomans? There you go. My Oklahoma friend. What the fuck, Lahomans? There it is. This is WTF. I am Mark Marin. How are you? I am just back from Oklahoma. And I mean just like this morning, just back from Oklahoma. But I got to be honest with you. Had a great time, great crowds. And I, th- I got a list of two or three things here, maybe even four, that I can uh, scratch off my bucket list. And that is a phrase I've never said in my life. And quite honestly, it, it, it aggravates me when people say it. I guess I can scratch that off the bucket list. Who the fuck even knew what a bucket list was until that dumb movie came out? I didn't. I don't have a bucket list, but I surprised myself. You know, I think I'm doing some sort of inverted bucket list, which is where I do things. And I'm like, holy shit, I didn't think I'd ever do that before I died. And I'm not even sure I wanted to. So I guess that goes on a different list. It's not a bucket list. It's a uh, holy fuck, I did that. Surprise. Don't know if I'm going to do that again. List. Is that? Is there a name for that? Is that? Is that just a life list? It doesn't matter. Look, Big Jay Okerson is on the show. Uh, lovely guy. Funny comic. Great stories. You're going to enjoy that conversation. I sure as shit did. God, I'm full of the profanity today. Full of the fucking profanity today. A couple of things I want to get out of the way before we get into things. My Oklahoma experience. Yeah, I had an Oklahoma, several Oklahoma experiences. I will preface it by saying that something happened on stage that has never happened before in my life, and I smelled something I'd never smelled before in my life. If you're still having trouble with the new app, the app update, and the new app, please email me at WTFpod at gmail.com, and I'll make sure it gets to where... It needs to go. Your issue. I personally can't handle it because I don't have any fucking idea how to handle that stuff. I'm f- full of the fucks today. The uh, the music on today's show is by the Dancehall Pimps. Their new album is Beast of Love on Lakeshore Records. You can check them out at dancehallpimps.com or Dancehall Pimps on Facebook. So go do that because they jam. They do it. They rock. Oklahoma City. Thank you. Can I just say that genuinely from my heart? Oklahoma City. I went to Oklahoma City to do two shows. We sold out the first show. We added a second show. Is that a humble brag? No, that's a fucking brag brag. Okay? But I didn't know what to expect. I haven't been to Oklahoma in a long time. I'd driven through there several times growing up. I lived in New Mexico. But Oklahoma is not New Mexico, man. Oklahoma is Oklahoma. And I wasn't nervous. I was excited. I was curious about what Oklahoma City was like. And on the bright side, I had less than 12 hours in Oklahoma City. That's not to be condescending. It's not to shit on anyone's state or anyone's city. But I was in and out. And we had a few things that I wanted to get done. So I get there and everything's cool. I was I was a little freaked out, flew on a small plane, got under the clouds. You know, when you're flying into a city, there's that moment where you're like, well, this is exciting. I can see it. Literally flying into Oklahoma City, all I saw on the ground was some sort of mud colored puddle pond and a series of ditches. And I thought, wow, is, is this going to get better? I hope this gets better. I hope this isn't the tone of the entire city of Oklahoma City, but it was good. I got off the plane. I'd done some research. I was going to Leo's Barbecue. I saw it on diners, dive, drive-ins, and, and, and dives. Look, I, I don't love, what's his name? Guy, Guy Fieri. Now, he's, he's obnoxious, but I, I think he eats well. 
Not not in the sense that I, I consider him healthy, that when I'm watching the cooking channel, the Food Network, when a dude takes a bite of food and he gets that look on his face, you want that to pay off. You want people to eat good and eat well, and you want to see it on their fucking face on the Food Network. And Guy Fieri, man, when he puts a bite of something in his mouth, you believe that shit. So I saw it on Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, and, I, and I'm looking for Leo's, and I got the address, and this kid Spencer, Spencer Hicks, comic uh, in Oklahoma, picks me up at the airport, and I'm like, dude... I got two hours. We got two hours. You got to find this place, Leo's. So he looks it up on his phone. It takes us to the old address. All right. It's this beat up old shithole. And it says, and on the door, it says, Leo's is now at this address. So I put that into my GPS. And if I can reiterate, fuck GPSs on your phones. They do nothing but cause trouble. They don't know where the fuck they're going. And they've caused me aggravation. They're liars. They're liars. I had done the research at home already where this place was, but I don't know Oklahoma City, so I put it on the GPS. We ended up driving 45 fucking minutes out to the middle of nowhere, to the and this guy lived there, but he'd never even been to where we were. He'd never he'd lived there his whole life, didn't know where the hell we were, driving down this street until it just turns into nothing. You know, it was one of those moments where I'm like, hey, you know, I had a plan, and in my mind, the plan went perfectly. We would have been eating barbecue right now at this cool place where this black dude has been doing it since his dad did it, and the whole family works there, and it's going to be groovy. But all of a sudden, I'm driving out, and it's just plains of dirt, and I'm like, there is no black dude out here with a barbecue smoker, okay? Something went wrong. But here's the thing. One thing I didn't realize that was going to happen for me in my life. A little something happened. I didn't realize it. Uh, and, and I have to embrace it, even though it may sound like something you wouldn't embrace. We're driving down the highway. There's a huge factory just making smoke in the sky. And I said to Spencer, I said, what is that? He said, that's a dog food factory. And I said, really? What dog food? And he said, Purina. And I said, is that the main Purina factory for dog food? He said, I don't think so. Didn't matter because... What happened next was I realized that the smell I was smelling that was unavoidable was the smell of freshly cooking dog food and everything that horrible smell represents. But there is that weird moment where you're like, oh, that's what that is. That's very exciting. No, it's not. It's horses and cats and things they find dead on the highway, boiled in a vat and ground up and remixed to give to your poochie. Not a great smell, but an experience I had. So then... After an hour of me, this poor kid, Spencer Hicks, picks me up. He's excited to hang out with me, which I always find interesting. I'm barely excited to hang out with me. And, and, and an hour into not being able to find this barbecue place, I'm in this guy's truck going, what the fuck? Where the fuck are we going? The GPS says it's here. And he's looking at me like he doesn't live there. And I'm like, you fucking live here. I've only got 40 minutes now. So now I'm not making a good impression on him, and I'm, on a, I'm apologizing profusely. Sorry, I didn't want you to see this. You didn't need to see this part of me, but I had a plan. I got to be somewhere at 4.30 in your city to do a thing that I've never done before. So we get to the barbecue place. We had like 10 minutes, 10 minutes for them to get the food out and for me to shove it down my face. And there's, there, there is four people working at that place. There were three people waiting for food and a couple people waiting for to-go orders and they were in the weeds. It was it was slow motion land, but that happens. It was a beautiful barbecue place. It was classic. It was beat up. It was weird. It was picnic tables, red and white uh, plastic covered tablecloths. The ribs were great. They had a big old vat of greens. You could help yourself. Awesome. Had ribs, had smoked brisket, had links, and on the plate, smoked bologna. Number two 
thing I didn't think I would ever have a need for experiencing in my life, I did in Oklahoma City. So let's look at the list. I smelled cooking dog food and I ate smoked bologna, which arguably could be the human equivalent of dog food, but it was smoked. Okay, that's out of the way. So now I got to get to the hotel to do the third thing I never thought I would do in my life, which is hang out with Wayne Coyne of the Flaming Lips. We had a fucking great time. He came to the show later, and this brings us to the fourth thing. Came to my second show. This is something that has never happened to me. I'm performing in a small theater. It's a performance art theater, so it's got some class to it. It's set up like a theater. Nice big stage, well-spaced uh, uh, seats. It was the second show, which can always get weird because there's no time uh, limit to what you can do generally, and the audience is a little punchy. The first show is going to be funnier and tighter, but the second show is going to be weirder and better. For me, the performer. Hi, how are you? My name's Mark Marin. So before I get on stage, I'm walking around the side of the building through puddles to get to the backstage door where someone had delivered an, an immense cheese tray that was smelling up the entire backstage. It was that good a cheese. And I walk by a couple who's outside and they're in the dark and I hear this woman look at me and goes, oh, it's him. Oh, it's him. It's You're the guy. Oh, my God. And right away, I'm like, I don't want them in there. I, obviously that's a little strong but I realized that we're going to have a little alcohol issue here There's, I, I knew the tone I knew the possibility of the problem the tone uh, could possibly lead to I've been doing this a long time and sure enough the first guy gets on stage and he's doing his shit and I'm hearing the woo and I'm like we've got a fucking wooer now I, I think I've expressed my feelings about wooing it's unnecessary it's usually a woman wooing I can see through a woo with my mind, I orally can differentiate between a woo because a woo either means eh, woo is like woo, and that can be look at me. That's usually what's under that, or woo help. Both usually women, and that is what's being expressed in those woos, or it's the predictable element of the weird Pavlovian uh, expression of excitement that is unnecessary. So we got a wooer up front, and I'm fine. I'm listening. I'm saying, how drunk is she? What's going on? This is going to be okay. Turns out she's a fan of mine, and she, whatever. It's fine. Second show, I don't mind doing a little crowd stuff. So I get on stage. I do my thing. We have a pretty good show. I, I, actually, I actually had excellent shows. I'm five minutes away from closing my show, and this woman sitting up front with her dude is talking. There's a problem. They're not watching the show. I'm in the middle of a bit that I happen to have my hand in the flip out position for, and I actually turn towards them and I say, please shut the fuck up for five minutes. I'm five minutes away from finishing. Five minutes. Shut the fuck up, please. It gets awkward for a minute, but then she just says, I need a ride home. I can't get a ride home. I'm like, what's the matter? I can't get a ride home. He's not going to give me a ride home. And now there's this couple clearly in the middle of some bullshit. So I'm like, what is going on? And and she's like, I don't know, but I guess I don't have a ride home. And then it just sort of starts to unfold. And I, the guy's pissed off about something. And I'm like, what are you pissed off about? And she said, well, he was gone. And I'm like, oh, that's right. You left. And I fucked her on stage in front of everybody. And I, we all promised we weren't going to tell you. But I guess she couldn't keep her big mouth shut. Funny enough, filthy crowd work. No problem. Got big laughs. But then it doesn't stop. And there seems to be a genuine problem in the room. And I asked him, I said, how often do you guys go through this fucking drama with this shit? 
how long you've been dating each other? And the guy's like three years. I'm like, oh, this happens all the time. But here's what ultimately happens. I start talking to them and she said that he was gone. When he was gone, some dude came and sat next to her. He came back from being out in the lobby during the show. This is all happening during my show. Unbeknownst to me, some dude had hit on her in the middle of my show. Her, her dude left. Some dude in the room uh, went over there and sat next to her. He came back and that dude was sitting next to her and it started all kinds of shit. So I find this out and then all of a sudden the dude who did it says it was me. It was me. So now that dude's there and I got the pissed off dude there and this girl in the middle, of course, enjoying all this drama. And now I'm povitching. All of a sudden, I'm poviching. I'm poviching a situation. I had to deliberate the situation. I had to mend the, the, the tension between the men and, and sort of call her out for, for, for uh, inviting this attention and not to setting it straight because she liked being the center of attention and that she clearly had her own issues and they had issues as a couple. Then the dude who hit on her, he got up and walked out and I said, that's a good call. It was all very odd. But I think this goes to prove my point that woo means both look at me and help so you really think that the the chicks that guys were threatened by steve-o they're just threatened by because like the thing is like they, they don't see what he does as any kind of like a major talent i think you know like he's, he's, he hurts himself but I had an affection for Steve-O because I th- he makes me laugh. You know, Those guys do have humility, as a com- They do. And, but what he was, in the stories he was telling on stage, it, that's what it lacked. And that's what I talked to him about. I was like, because he's telling stories. He goes, yeah, three girls. I meet these three girls, and they say they all want to suck my dick. And so I bring them back to my suite at the Four Seasons. And I go, you're, like, you're losing the guys here. Like, the guys just like, <laughs> they- you got to tell them. Like, you almost have to present these stories where it's like, and I'm in the Four Seasons like, why I have no idea. Like I'm just right. a shithead who jams things up his ass. But he's not. T- he's leaving that part of it out. You know, he's telling it more from the angle. Well, of that's like, funny. So that was you're saying is like do more about the part that like it's ridiculous that you even have a career. Oh yeah, exactly. Right. It's, like, it's like all you know, you puke. Yeah, you, you like swallow fish and puke them back up, <laughs> and you're making millions of dollars off of it. You know, yeah. and like uh, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but it's like uh, you know, I always say as a comedian, like your innocence is so lost. That, that's the shittiest part about being a comedian is your innocence in comedy is lost it's hard to just sit back and laugh at a you know you oh no i I talked about that last night on stage where it's like you're so jaded the only time you can um enjoy a show is when someone's struggling yeah you want to go see someone have a rough time and see they could dig out of it in some way (laughs) you know you really have no interest in going in there and like a it's like uh, you know as much as i love like a tell like i don't go in the room for a tell even every time anymore because like i just know he's he's gonna do good yeah but when they go a tells this guy turned on a tell and he's down there doing whatever. Now I want to go see what he does because that's, yeah. that's when I think the magic kicks in. Well, well yeah, when I started with him, uh, there was always the possibility that he would uh, go on the defensive and, yeah. and try to climb out of it. In the garage, Big J Okerson from, uh, from Philly, from New York City. The first time I met you, I think I was... Uh, I don't. I was giving you a ride home or something. I met you once or twice, and then or, I think did I drive you or you drove me? I can't remember. But I remember I I dropping you. Yeah, like you, you, we went to your house, and it was like this weird dark place. And you said you had a kid in there, and there was a, <laughs> a girl involved, and Kurt was in the car. And I was like, "Who the fuck is this guy? What kind of world is he living in?" And uh, you know, that was my feeling then. It's a real dichotomy there. I have to. I go. That's what I tell him. I'm up there doing like you know. I'm telling stories about uh, you know finger blanging a fat chick and yeah. something in some dark alley yeah. and 
But, you know, I tell me like three hours ago, I was doing third grade homework with my daughter. <laughs> so, that, they, so you're not with the the mother of the kid anymore? Yeah, no, I am. You are? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a... You have an understanding of some kind, I guess. Yeah. All right, but uh, but I saw you in Montreal, and I the one thing I don't I, I don't know much about the Philly comedy scene other than you know I talked to Paul F. Tompkins, and you guys couldn't be more different. The way I always saw you was um, there were a couple of guys, you and Kurt Metzger, who I love, who who seemed to be you know heavily influenced by the you know, some of the New York comics, like Attell and everything. Absolutely. And that like I could hear it in your voice. That uh, you know, you you figured you know you, you sort of took the Atel model and kind of made it your own somehow, sure. right? Do you yeah. conscious of that? Absolutely. You know, well, one of the coolest things I thought happened to me early in comedy is when uh, you know, when you start out and you're amongst like your peers of like the new guys doing open mics and and everything. we were just coming up in New York and maybe working like one like the Boston Comedy Club. So you drive up from here Philly every day. Yeah, we're doing like six days a week. It was me, Kevin Hart, Keith Robinson, and Kurt Metzger. So two black guys, two white guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and um. And it's not clear to me whether Kurt even likes whack guys, really. <laughs> I'm not sure myself either. We have, I found tapes recently of me and Kurt doing the Laugh House in Philadelphia, which is a black comedy club that we started off at. And it was the only club in Philly at the time. It was the only game in town. And uh, it was so it was, it was was like promoted by the hip-hop club station, so it was packed every week. And uh, you see these videos. I went immediately. I wanted to do good. I didn't yeah. really have any. I had a passion to do well more than I had a passion to get what I want to say out. So I pandered immediately, and uh, so in these videos, it's literally I'm wearing a FUBU jersey with like the chain and Timberland boots. Not me at all, like not my stuff, but I completely morphed into that because I just wanted them to get past the fact that I was white and laugh at whatever I was saying. Now, when, when, with a black club, because my experience is limited, but you know, Kevin obviously started there, and Keith is a, a Philly guy, but he had long been gone, right? Was he still in Philly when he started? By pure chance, he had gone back to Philly. His mother had gotten ill. Yeah. And he had come back to Philly. So yeah. So like, be with her every day before. So what we do, like, he kind of like took an interest in me and Kev and Kurt. And, uh, you know, I had a car. And, so, he, and, and he really just started like saying, like, I'll bring you guys to New York and kind of get you guys into the scene up there. I mean, I was going to quit comedy, absolutely. I just was tired of like... But like, let me Not try to picture myself. it because I, you know, I, have to, I don't, I don't even talk to enough black guys about black rooms. But <laughs> to me, like, I was in downtown Los Angeles, and then I walked by a black club, and I saw the people going in. They're dressed up. It's a big night out. Yeah. There's a lot of shit going on, and I realized like I wouldn't even know what to do in there. And and when I, I the few times I've worked for a black audience, it's not it's not because it's not a racial thing necessarily. It's just culturally, it they, there's a lot more expectation. I mean, they're fucking going out. Yeah. You know, and and I noticed that about comedy with anything that you know when they're on when when black people go out they're they're out and you better show the fuck up. Black audiences love being reminded about something they already know. That's what they love. <laughs> they love, remember when we used to go to the swap meet and do the gym. Like they yeah. really like they want to hear. How old were you? What nineteen? 19 so you're nineteen, and you're bigger than you were now. Yeah, and you're a big guy. Yeah. So you were fat. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that was all of my. Uh, all of my first jokes at all, my whole sets were like, and when you're fat and being fat, and but how about what, when fat people do this? How did you get your first gig at a, and so, because I know, like, there's such a dichotomy. This is why I wanted to talk to you. Like, I talked to a lot of guys, you know, I talked to alternative guys, I talked to old guys, I talked to, uh, you know, guys who started in clubs, but I've never talked to a white comic who specifically started in black clubs. You just didn't know where else to go? No, we had no idea. That was the local. What, what happened was a friend of mine suggested I try comedy. She yeah. said, oh, you were always funny. You should try comedy. Yeah. And it really made sense to me because 
way more so than I think a lot of comics who are currently in comedy. I had like a real deep history of comedy since I was a kid. Like I always like I watched every episode of Evening at the Improv and Caroline's Comedy. What do you Hour. come from? What are your parents? Um, like what do they do? Or like, well, who what, are they? What what's what was the situation? There? My mom had me when she was nineteen. My dad took off when I was three, and it was me and my mom. My mom went back to school and started working a lot, and I more or less lived with my grandparents. Yeah. Uh, and then when I was 10, my grandfather died, and my mom remarried, and then I started staying home a lot more. And they're, my, my mom and step-pop are uh, they're supportive. They were very nervous about me doing this, and I quit college like immediately to do it. I went to college for a month, Yeah. and I did an open mic night, and the first one, and I, it went well. And I dropped out of college the next day, and then I like bombed for like three months straight. I couldn't get it again. Did you grow up in a in a black neighborhood? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, in Overbrook, West Philadelphia. Yeah, but I never like didn't. It didn't seem that weird to me at the time until we moved out of there. Yeah, it was like that. How like scary and and black it was. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very scary and black. But but you were in, but in, in a sense though, like it just seems like. I, I think that neighborhoods are still segregated and that there comes a point where you're just part of the community. Did you feel like your family was like that? Did you feel distance uh, between you and the and the black dudes in the community? No, I was able to, like, I just learned that very young that if I, and that's, I think it's why I watched so much stand-up comedy when I was younger, yeah. because I'd go to school and regurge that stuff. Yeah. Because no one in fifth and sixth grade, you know, knows who Bruce Baum and like, you know, Wayne Cotter and these guys, but I'm watching them like, you know, <laughs> yeah, every yeah, Sunday yeah. night on TV. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I love, so I would kind of rehash and then try to make my own funny. And I just kind of became known for being like funny, right. which got me out of a lot more fights than, you know, people kind of wanted me around to so like, you were doing Bruce laugh. baby man bomb bits <laughs> yeah. at the ghetto, uh, I'm junior high. Them. I'm doing the, we will rock you with the paper bags and everything. <laughs> I, I really, what did you? Oh yeah. I thought anything. <laughs> Anything I could do, and I would, and I would go regurge it like it was my own. Yeah, like I would just tell him, "I goes, hey, do you guys ever think about this?" Yeah, <laughs> uh, but, you, but you were working the room in the classroom. I think that uh, that's fair game. I was so, never class clown. I was never like the you know fart noises under the arm. I was always like it was like either the written word or like you were putting on a show. Yeah. yeah. So all right. So then, you, where'd you do your first open mic? At the Laugh House in Philadelphia. I, I a friend told me I should try it, and then I just. I was on South Street in Philadelphia the next day, and Fubu. Yeah. <laughs> I was. Uh, we were sneaker shopping actually, and yeah. I saw the comedy club, which I guess it used to be Catch a Rising Star, and then it became David Brenner's Laugh House, and then yeah. he sold it to a to like this guy who was like a hip hop DJ, and they made it into a black club, and it was packed. I mean, the business was good there, and that was actually a little th- something that I found weird when I when I did go to New York. Yeah. Now you're doing open mics in the basement of a chess club yeah. for five people who are kind of pissed off that they're there. Yeah. Coming from like, you know, whether we bombed or did well, the crowd was packed, huge, and like ecstatic. And, you know, we're following comics who were like, uh, all right, I'm going to break down the new Dr. Dre song right now. And then like, <laughs> you know, very quickly, I couldn't go up there and be like, you know, growing up in Philly. Like they didn't care. They wanted to hear music and you could do anything to this song and- 15 comics doing the same jokes over and over again. They would? And yeah, and just me and Kurt. And there's me and Kurt in there somewhere. And Kurt <laughs> Kurt made me laugh so much because right away when I met him, we had like a kinship immediately because we were first of all the two white guys that were doing it. And um, he saw through that, uh, you know, I'm wearing a FUBU jersey and baggy jeans. He kind of saw through that I'm not that guy, you know. Yeah. And we became immediate friends. And I was all, and Kurt from day one just had these great jokes, just yeah. well-constructed, well, like great punchlines. And they would just turn on him because he was white, and he never changed the way he was. 
and he would look in these videos I just found. You can see he's looking over the audience. Like yeah. He doesn't even make eye contact with them at all. Yeah. He just uh, just performs to the wall, <clears throat> and he um. And right about the time that we left Philly and started going to New York. I think he'd written his first joke where he was like, I'm going to make black people laugh. And it was like, you know, you ever taken a doo-doo in public and <laughs> they see your shoes and you don't want to walk around because they see your shoes and they know you're the guy who doo-dooed and <laughs> saying doo-doo. And... <laughs> Did he do that in front of them? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Did and they that was like a... it? And Yeah, of course. They loved it. <laughs> Come on. They lo- I-, I wish I was lying to you. I mean, you know what's hilarious? The joke uh, was like the, like one of the simplest like black comedy like kind of shitty bullshit jokes is uh you know white kids got time out when they was getting trouble like my mom took time out time out from whooping my ass and that yeah. joke has said a thousand times yeah and <clears throat> maybe like a year ago i was in the laugh factory and the audience was like and it wasn't even, it was predominantly black but it was mixed a mixed yeah. audience and just uh and i was talking about that joke where me and my friend were laughing about it on the way to the club and i just kind of caught eyes with him in the back of the room and the set was going good it was going yeah. fine and and just in the middle of the set, though, I just go, uh, I go, what's up with white kids? He goes, white kids got time out when they was uh, kids. Because my mom took time out, time out from whooping that ass. And the crowd, like, erupts. And it just makes me shake my head. I'm like, hack is hack for a reason. I mean, it really does work. Like, like if you got that reaction for every shitty joke you told, like, why would you not, st- why would you stop doing it? If you have no integrity, why would you stop? Right. If you just want to do well and get pussy, which is probably the motivator for 90% of comics who start, yeah. I'm going to get pussy and I'm yeah. going to get... And if you have no passion to actually do it, like, you know, people... Uh, Kevin Hart himself, you know, said, like, when he was young, you tell Kevin wanted to be a star and he became a good comic through it. But, like, I never had... Like, I never thought about being on television. And he was... Well, now, you met him because he was working at the Black Club. He brought you in, right? No, we started together. Right? We, he started a week after me, actually. Like, one week after me. So, let's, let's go time. back because, uh, you, you know, I saw the show that you did in uh, Montreal, and I want to I talk about some of that stuff. So, you started doing, you know, the FUBU shirts and mm-hmm. the shoes. And then, what? how did your act evolve? What, what evolved from that is that I, I became up to a point where I was known as like I would do well at these black shows because I was willing to take my clothes off on stage. And well, what is that? What do you mean? Like, what was the bit? The bit was about um, my stepfather was a uh, a power lifter, like a weightlifter. Yeah. And he had all these friends who were bodybuilders. And I just always thought it was hilarious how it's like they'd come over and they'd make us watch videos of like them posing, yeah. and, which I thought was ridiculous. So I'd make fun of bodybuilders. <laughs> But then I would be wearing under my clothes a uh, zebra print thong underwear. Yeah. And how much did and, you weigh? Um, three, 300, <laughs> 310. And uh, the 2001 theme would kick on, the orchestral uh, 2001 theme. This was your closer. My big closer. Yeah. After I did a bunch of jokes about uh, why you couldn't have Spider-Man living in the hood. And uh, <laughs> I mean, like, it was total panic. I, I, if, I, if I ever get a chance, I will show you these videotapes. I mean, the, the, my wording, I'm like... Ever buy a bitch a drink up in a club? And I mean, like, it was just—it's insane. No, you did really, absolutely. Oh no, you didn't. But oh yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh yeah, he did now. <laughs> and he, uh, I said, and Kurt was never willing to pander like, yeah. the whole time. But I went right because I went and I wanted to do well, and I got to the point where they were like paying me like regular pay to do these black shows, and and I had like you know fifteen music cues throughout the thing, and and this bodybuilding thing as the 2001 theme would come on I would slowly for every crescendo it would hit I would take off a piece of clothing down yeah. to thong underwear 
And it just like annihilated. It was great. And, it, what and you would end up standing there naked except for thong underwear posing like a bodybuilder. Yeah, I mean, never. To the 2001 theme. Yeah, I've never seen black people happier in my life. And for some reason, a fat guy and a thing. I mean, as awful as I looked and getting naked, I mean, I used to have fat black women throwing it at me and like, uh, I'd, like these enormous women that would show up every week to see me again. And mm-hmm. it was like, it was very bizarre. And very ego boosting and, and what a shot down it was when we first when Keith Robinson first brought us up to New York I'm like well they don't want to hear me break down the new P. Diddy track like they, what are they they're not going <laughs> to follow this what does that mean break down oh that was a big thing in the black comedy club you go what's this new song you break down the songs oh, and okay. you know it's like and did you have your uh, thong underwear at that night or did you I never did the thong underwear at a mainstream club in New York City now when did how did you stop doing that how did you know to stop doing that I didn't uh I performed, I, I was going to stop doing comedy at a point. I really just felt a little defeated because I was like, I was doing these black clubs, but you were never going to get more than $100 a show ever. How were you making money? Um, I was driving uh, strippers and escorts to bachelor parties. How did that come about? Being a bouncer. Uh, a friend of mine named Ernie came one day and he said his girlfriend's dad works for this company. And he was, I thought it was interesting. He was like an old guy. Yeah. Um. And he goes, yeah, he just goes and drives the girls, and you stand there and collect the money for them, and then you leave. And I was like, and they get butt naked, and I thought it was going to be the best job ever. And then uh, it's a very dangerous job. Like, you get a bunch of drunk guys around, like, one vagina. Like, it gets pretty hostile pretty quick, and they're all jockeying for position. And the thing is, on the phone, you you can't call a company like that and say flat out, you're never going to get a strand. You go, do these girls fuck if you pay them? Like... (laughs) They'll always be like, oh, you know, they have fun, you know, and, and then when they get there, you never know what's going to happen. So you walk in, nine times out of ten, these guys had an expectation, like, well, how much does it cost to fuck the girl? And then I got to go, ah, she doesn't really yeah, do that. Yeah. And they're like, what? And they get angry and they start getting aggressive. You you would go bring one girl to a place and there'd be five girls, guys want to fuck her? Oh, man, I wish it was those numbers were right. No, it was, <laughs> it was one or two girls and there'd be 15 to 20 guys. Generally. And they all want to fuck her. Yeah. Oh, one girl. Let me tell this this champ. I've never turned down such hot pussy in my life. I drove a girl, really, really cute chick. Um, I this is a funny story actually. Like it's uh, I always call the story like the replacements because it was an ice storm in Philadelphia and these guys were having a bachelor party in Ocean yeah. City, New Jersey. Yeah. And I go to my company, and I go. He goes, Yeah, you're picking up these girls. We have the three prettiest girls we have. Yeah. Uh, are going and they all canceled right so he goes well we got some other girls that are gonna go out and i go to pick them up one at a time the first lady was a little old lady i mean like holding her purse like <laughs> no, you know, come on how old 57 to 60 some years old. yeah absolutely yeah blonde hair gets in the car and she's wearing a pantsuit yeah um like a blazer and a skirt uh, yeah i guess like down below the knees glasses you know bob yeah. haircut then we pick up a lady, uh, a little black lady who looks like Bobby Brown. She has like a Gumby haircut, like the sloping haircut. She's all higher and she gets in the car. And there's one pretty girl who's going. She's going to drive herself. So I got to drive the two weirdos. Yeah. We get to Ocean City. Thank God these guys were in good spirits because to walk into a place with like these three women, you're like, this, these guys aren't going to be happy. But they were so drunk. They were hilarious. Like they walked in, the old lady, they were like, oh, like which one are you? Like the, the pretty girl walks in first and they go, oh, nice. And then the old lady goes, oh, you brought your mom? <laughs> At one point, the black girl and the pretty girl were dancing around, and the old lady was just sitting on the couch, and yeah. one of the guys goes over, and he goes, uh, like, clean up or something. I don't know. Like, we're paying you. Do something. <laughs> and then one guy finally came out of a bedroom just drunk enough, and he grabbed her and took her into a bedroom, the old lady. 
But the pretty girl, 14 guys, two at a time, took them all on. And this is how creepy- And you're standing there? I'm outside. I was oh. outside the room. And one of the creepiest like things I've ever uh, like seen happen is how guys are so- like when, when pussy's on the plate, like how driven they are- and one-dimensionally thinking. Even when they don't have to work for it, though. They don't have to work for it, but every guy, they'd go in two at a time. The fir- from the first two guys to the last two guys would come out and they'd go, oh, man, that's kind of weird. Like, she's on her period. That's what they said. And then the other guys would go, oh, dude, really? And then just go right in the room, like, behind them. <laughs> like, oh, let me go find out for myself, I guess. And she just <laughs> took them two at a time. And then we went to, like, a Denny's afterwards, and she's trying to explain her life away to me. I'm like, I don't want to. How does that go? And she goes, oh, she goes, well, I have a dream of being an anesthetician. <laughs> like, I, was like, well, I don't know if you have to fucking bang 14 guys to go to beauty school to get facials. Just go go find your dream. So did it ever get like, so you're doing comedy and you're driving strippers at night. But mm-hmm. you're not a, did you, you're not a, 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 an ass kicker, are you? No, not at all. I never thought it was going to come down to that. Well, what, well, did. what do you think was going to happen? I thought uh, everyone would be docile like myself, and they'd be like excited that there was pussy in the room, and they'd be too nervous to try to do anything else, and they'd leave. Did you? Did you? <laughs> so did, you got into trouble, ever? Yeah, I had a couple. I had a, I had a gun pulled on me. The first time I ever got confident in a physical confrontation in one of these shows, a guy pulled a gun on me in Atlantic City because uh, it was two girls, and they were getting changed back into their clothes. It was after the show, and yeah old Italian guys like banging on the door trying to get in. Yeah. And he wasn't a th- scary looking guy at all. And I let, I walked out of the room and I told the guy, he can't go in, the show's over, you know, it's all done. Yeah. And he goes, uh, he goes, no, nah, I'm going to go in, I paid for this. And I was like, no, no, but I mean, what you paid for is over, the show's done. <laughs> and he goes, well, I paid for it, so I say I can go in there. And I go, very confident, I go, well, I'm saying you can't go in there, so what are we going to do? And he pulled out a gun and put it right to my fucking, between my eyes. Yeah. Loaded, cocked, I have no idea. Yeah. But he put it right between my eyes. And I remember just in the fastest thought of my mind going like, I don't give a shit about these two girls at all. Yeah. They're just animal drug addicts. That I, and I go, why am I have a gun on my face? <laughs> like nothing in my life growing up. And, you know, I used to be afraid of rain when I was a kid. And my, uh, you know, I'm a mama's boy and yeah. I cry more than I should. Yeah. And now I'm trying to be, be like a badass to protect... <laughs> These two animals that don't even give... They don't give a fuck if I get shot for them. They'll go out there and fight the guy themselves. Like, these girls... <laughs> yeah. Like, this is better than their home life, what they're living right now. You know? Like they always, like... There's always some kid in social services. And, oh, God. You know, some boyfriend who beats the shit out of them or something. Yeah. It's just like... Uh, I'm like, this isn't my world. Like, I'm not this guy. Like, I yeah. am very, like, you know... Like, I like to have Passover dinner with my mom and grandma. <laughs> and I find myself in these, like, bizarre situations. So what did you do? When the guy had the gun on my face, yeah. I said nothing, and then he laughed and put the gun down by his side and walked away. And then I went and got the girl to go, let's get out of here. And the funniest part is I love telling stories like that, especially when I was being, I was 19, 20 years old, and you go tell your friends that, and I love your friends, that always go, dude, he just walked away and put the gun down by his side. He goes, I would have fucking tacked, I go, would you have? <laughs> like, I'm happy he didn't shoot me in the face. Like, I really, I looked at it as I won, no matter... With <laughs> yeah, it's easy to I woulda. Yeah. yeah. Oh dude, man, I would have put the gun he turned his back on you? You could have kind of what? I was proud of myself for not shitting my pants when he did that. I mean proud of myself. I mean that was one of the scariest like a gun in my face. I'm like it's, like, it's really just goes like I just wanted to Yeah see some pussy with everybody else. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I figure I'm making it up because I'm not paying for it. Like right. I get to watch it for free yeah. and I always had these dreams that I'd drive the girl home and she'd be so excited she'd fuck me and yeah. they never did. Yeah. And, oh my God, the worst stories. 
they all had this these terrible laws. One of the funniest I've ever heard it's was a, that, that. It's horrible. I hate to be laughing, but it's that, so it's fine. That 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 black girl with the Gumby haircut, yeah. the Bobby Brown girl. Mm. During that party, at one point, a door like swung open. It was like a like a haunted house. Yeah, like a door swung open, and I just saw her like standing up with one leg in the air, and the bachelor was holding her leg up and just like fucking her, and she was making these hilarious noises. And <clears throat> on the way home, we had to stop through a toll booth. Yeah. And it was an awkward silence in the car. No one had told, the old lady was like, you know, sitting in the front seat and, mm. and this jumpy little black girl was in the back seat. And we pulled up to a, we pulled up to the toll booth and all the windows were down. Yeah. I don't think I had air conditioning. Yeah. And, we get to, and as I'm paying the toll, this black lady leans forward between the both of us and she goes, uh, she goes, I know what they say about white boys, but that white boy fucked the shit out of me. <laughs> And like the toll booth lady just didn't know how to react to that. Just give me the thing. I'm like, oh, it's like, what society do you live in where you think like people want to hear that? Like, like to talk so candidly. I mean, it's ironic too because like you know, uh, to me, I think getting on stage and telling like my, you know, you're the sum of your flaws. So it's like you know, you want right. to get on. Well, I think it's sort of. I had this conversation with someone today. It's it's a, it's a different version of nerddom. You know, like I dated a woman who was in the sex industry briefly. And they talk about it like, you know, that's dinner conversation. Yeah. You know, like she did dominatrix work. You know, she's like, so I'm spanking this guy. You want me to pee on his face? And it's like, I'm, we're, you know, these people don't know <laughs> yeah. where you come from. But if you talk to a guy who likes guitars, that's all he's going to fucking talk about. Right. It's just their life. What are you going to do about it? It just happens to be that business. Oh, but there's always a pain behind it. No, know, yeah, yeah. No matter, yeah, no matter what they. In the sex industry. No yeah. matter how much they try to play it off like. A, well, oh, what was that story? Parents? The biker story. Oh, yeah, they man, there's so many of them that, like, just, like... Where you had to do that drive? Yeah. What was that? Two miles down a dirt road for racist... But when the guy called me, the guy gave me a call yeah. to uh to do the job, and this guy didn't care about it. He just wanted to make the money. He sat in his and house. And you're driving, and, what, a Lincoln or what? No, I'm driving my, uh, at that time, my Saturn. <laughs> Pretty decent Saturn. Yeah. Uh, or, or is that or my Honda Accord hatchback? One of those two cars I had at the time. Kurt got that stolen. Yeah, how? He just parked it in a shitty part and got fucking taken. <laughs> yeah. He actually parked it in a tow-away zone, so we thought it got towed. Turns out it got stolen before it got towed. Yeah. <laughs> Good Lord. But I think it was my Saturn. And uh, the the boss called me up and he goes, it was literally presented to me this way. Yeah. He, he, very blunt. He goes, all right, you're going to drive this black girl and this Puerto Rican girl to a racist biker party, bachelor party. Was well, that like a joke? I thought he was kidding. Yeah. Like, why would you, like, do you care about these girls' safety at all? Yeah. Because like, what am I going to do? Right. And, and uh, we met the guys at a liquor store because they said we wouldn't find the place. It was two miles down a dirt road. We're in Jersey? Uh, yeah. Yeah. In South Jersey. Yeah. And I, like, right as we're driving down that road, I'm, I am I assume we're in agreement. I always think like these girls aren't like uh, ballsy they, and they're afraid too, but they're never afraid. They're never afraid of any situation. I don't know how many times they've been cut uh, in yeah. their life. or But these like, racists requested a Puerto Rican. Requested specifically a uh, Hispanic and a black girl. And um, we drive two miles down this dirt road. And as I'm driving on the road, I'm looking at the girls. I thought we were all in agreement that like we're going to leave, right? Like, yeah. This is like we're going to wait for them to get far enough ahead where we can just turn around yeah, and get the this, fuck out of here. What, they looked like fucking weirdos or what? The the guys? You, you met, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was like, a, it looked like, a, like, a, like a party at uh, Cher's house in that movie Mask. Yeah. It was like just a bunch of Sam Elliott's and like just these burly, goofy guys yeah. with the beard. They, they yeah. had the whole thing going. And at yeah. the time, by the way, I'm living the character at this point, so I'm also pulling up in my FUBU jersey and, you know, yeah. you know I'm, I got the whole garb on with me, you know, like Echo shirts and you right. know, Sean John stuff. And um, 
you know, I think they're going to judge me for that immediately, and they're probably not afraid of me at all, which they shouldn't be. Yeah. And the girls just wanted to go in and make the money. They really didn't care, and they, and they kept saying, like, oh, we got a job to do. Let's Like, they're, like they're doing noble work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, no, we signed up for this, you know? Right. We're not going AWOL. Yeah. <laughs> so you go to this place. We get it. I had to go in first to call the boss, and when I walked in, like, everything was confirmed, like, the fear. There was, like, a bed. I said there was like a bed and there was guns all over the bed. I said it was like the biker version of like the when you come to a party, like put your coats on the bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. There's yeah. guns all yeah. over. And I called my boss and he couldn't have. He goes, "How is it?" And I was like, eh, "You know, no." And he goes, "He goes, is it scary?" I was like, "Yeah," because <laughs> there guys are all around me, yeah. you know, and I can't like say like you know there's guns. And yeah, I'm scared. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, "What are the guns?" And I was like, "Mm-hmm." <laughs> And he goes, are they holding them on you? I go, oh, not yet. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, I talked to them on the phone. They're good dudes. Yeah. He just hung up and just said to do it. And <laughs> I mean, that night just evolved into, they actually didn't end up causing much of a problem with me. There was an internal biker problem. What? That scared the shit. I mean, the girls went into the bathroom to change in their stripper clothes. Yeah. And a lady came out in a robe from a bedroom. Yeah. And like really like like clearing her eyes. Like, like didn't know there was like a very loud biker bachelor party happening in the next room and uh just confused by the whole thing and tries to go into the bathroom and the strippers like you know they have the class of nothing yeah so they just like you know like bitch we're in here doing yeah and she got mad and started a big fight <coughs> and then her her uh husband i guess yeah. her old man came out of the uh, bedroom in tidy whities nothing else like, yeah. real scrawny yeah feathered hair yeah and uh he starts arguing and i guess one of the bikers was his brother yeah and they went over to start arguing. They started fist fighting right in front. And I, man, my jaw was on the floor. Like I was, like, I was very visible at that point. That all these bikers, like this guy's not going to do anything <laughs> yeah, yeah. at all, and just terrified. And they, uh, the bike one guy ended up pulling out a gun. Yeah. And his brother and tidy whities ran through the screen of the back door, <laughs> like threw it, just took the screen right out and jumped over the uh, deck. And they were in the woods. Took off into the woods, and he shot like into the woods like nine times. <laughs> and I said for the hour that I was there, he never came back. Yeah. And I go, and I don't know if he was dead or hiding, but either yeah. way, like that was like the least of my concern. Yeah. I was like, all right, well, it wasn't me they shot at. Now I can kind of, you know, and he's like trying to button nuzzle up to them. Like, now nah, your brother's kind of a dick. Huh? Yeah. What a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stay out there in the woods, yeah. jerk off. Yeah. Right. But I, I was like just trying to be on their team. And so and they, they were cool when it was all as the party went on. And then right when and I said, I never confirmed if it was a joke or not, but um, I, they were in earshot of me. I guess they didn't know that. And the girls were changing back into their clothes. And I heard the guy go, what do you want to do with this fat kid when we fuck these chicks? And I yelled out the words 30 seconds to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> 30 seconds. And I went and started the car and we got the fuck out of there. And they, they didn't come after it. I guess they were preoccupied, thank God. But God damn. And you know what we did? We drove, it was a 45 minute drive back to Philly. And yeah. um, three, all three of us teary. Like I was crying and they were going like, they're yelling I'm the worst bouncer. And I knew that. And I was yeah. like, yeah, oh, I know. I'm awful. I thought I was going to see some pussy and have a good time. Yeah, but yeah. This is very aggressive. Was, was that the last gig? Um, the last time I did it, I actually did it in in New York, ultimately. I, I, when I came to New York and I was living there yeah, and just making no money in comedy, if I, if I was making like, you know, 50 bucks on a weekend, I was doing great. You know, it was yeah. no money in it. And the then, mainstream clubs for me. And I called one day to... Uh, to drive and this guy hired me on the phone on the spot didn't even like bad because you had done it before yeah i guess you know i guess just a lot of people don't want to do this and the way it works the way it worked in philly which was kind of cool i always liked was that you'd get a phone call and it'd be like pick up this girl you're going to this place yeah in new york they did it where you pick up three girls and you just have them 
and hope that work comes in. Like you're right. on call, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I'd hang up these three animals in New York. I mean, headlined by... Or the three hookers having a conversation is just insane. <laughs> like, you can't believe like how comfortable... You know, you, 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 it almost desensitizes you. You don't wonder when you say the word cunt yeah. that a girl would go, oh, dear. Yeah. Because you hear these girls talking about like a... Oh, you saw Mr. Johnson last night? Like, did he come? Like, no. And he goes, Oh, girl, you got to lay it on him like this. And like, yeah. showing like these ass bumps to get yeah. to this guy. He comes in two seconds. And like, they're like, they're high fiving over it. And it's just like, like, what world? Like, what happened? Like, you had it, like, you wore a dress when you were a little kid at some point. You had like a dream to do something. It's just like, and the headliner of that group was a, uh, first one I picked up. So I heard for about an hour before I had the other two girls. And she yeah. was a black albino with a lazy eye. Yeah. And the swagger of like a knockout ten, yeah. I mean, I'd never seen, and just all like teeth were just, like graded all up and yeah. a mess. And she, uh, she was like, I had to cancel a date tonight. She goes, I don't like going on dates. Last date I went on, she goes, Now I know what I do for a living, but she goes, in the real world, if a guy wants this pussy, he has to take me out for scrimp at Red Blobster. <laughs> and I look, I, I thought she was kidding. I was like, I was like Red Blobster, and she was like, Hell yeah. <laughs> Scrimp, scampy, at Red Blobster, then you get this pussy. And I, I mean, is she doing that on purpose? Like, why would you do that on... Come on. Like, you could read. And the person... And even if you can't read, whoever told you what that sign said, they didn't say Blobster. I'm certain of it. But and wait, now... I had those girls for hours. Yeah. And then I, uh... I just, like, that was it. I did the one night, and I came home, and I was like, um, that's it. And like, you're I'm, still doing comedy at the black clubs. Now, yeah, wait, yeah, now, yeah. wait. I want to hear the stories, though, about... I, I'm sorry, but I just got to hear the uh, the transition to uh, to the kids' parties. Oh, doing the kids' birthday party? It was the same company, right? Same company. The guy, I said to him, I was like, you know, I wasn't getting a lot of... I was the last guy he would call for the work because I was his newest employee. Yeah. And I and I went to him. I actually asked him, too. I said, uh, I was like, why am I, like, the youngest, biggest person on your staff? Everybody else is, like, an older man, it seemed yeah. like. I was like, but I seem to have all these crazy adventures happening with mine. Like, they're always going bad, and they're yeah. scared. And he goes, well, everybody carries a gun. I was like, oh. He goes, you don't have a gun? I was like, no. He goes, you want me to give you one? I was like, no. Like, I'm going to panic. I'll pull that out way preemptively. And it's like, yeah. hey, these girls having sex? I'm like, no. And I'll just like, pull the gun out and be wagging. I'd be terrified. And you can't talk about this on stage yet. You must have wanted to. Oh, no, no, no. I was not in that play. Yeah, no, I'm still, you know, talking about, like, what's up with the... Yeah. You go to the Chinese food store and they yeah. don't give you enough duck sauce. <laughs> no. What's up with the duck? <laughs> give me a thousand soy sauces, one duck sauce. Annihilates. Standing yeah. ovations. <laughs> no, I couldn't I couldn't talk about it all yet, but the, that company, because I wasn't getting enough work, I was like, yeah. can I just, like, can you give me a little more? Like, and he goes, well, he goes, I mean... By day, we send out people to kids' birthday parties to dress up like characters, like Elmo and Winnie yeah. the Pooh and stuff like that. And he goes, uh, would you want to do that? And I was like, sure. But because I was his last option on that, like, I'd be his fifth phone call. So yeah. he'd call up and say, you know, hey, you want to go do this thing at, uh, you know, it's five of the guys. Like, you want to go to North Philadelphia and do, like, you know, Rashonda Jenkins' birthday party as Elmo? And, like, everyone else would be like, no. Like, But I'd go, yeah, sure, I get. And it was just like... The hostility of, of, of the way these people would talk to me when I'm going to be a character at there's kids part it was just it, I never understood. And you it. had to wear the whole outfit and everything. Oh, and they were awful. Like he bought like these generic, 
Not generic. even the real Elmo. No, not at all. I was like a brown Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Just, like, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said I was Elmo. The first one I ever did, I was Elmo, but the outfit had no, like, feet coverings. Yeah. So it was just, like, my Nikes. <laughs> yeah. Was sticking out. And yeah. they just sent me these things, and uh, they were always just taken back to the fact that I was white. Yeah. And, I mean, it was so low rent. I'd walk, I'd come like, like a garbage bag full of the outfit. Yeah. <laughs> I'd walk in, the, and they were just always mean immediately, and I was just coming to entertain their kids. <laughs> I thought it was going to be an adorable thing, but, like, the adults would fuck with you, and they'd like, I've gotten kicked in the nuts. What do you mean? By kids. That, that first one I did is Elmo. <laughs> a, uh, it was sweltering hot, like, summer. And there's no AC, and these outfits are, like, you know, they, have, they make outfits that have, like, fans in them yeah. to keep you, like, alive, yeah. I think, essentially. And this, <laughs> this guy just gave me, like, a, it was, like, a burlap costume. It was like, made of, like, carpet. Yeah. Like, rug art. You ever think, like, the hook art? Yeah. It's like that, and I got it, like... Oh, and I'm profusely sweating and miserable. Yeah. And mom kept yelling for me to do the hokey pokey. I don't yeah. know if that's the only kid song she ever heard of. Right. Course. She kept ye- screaming that and called me motherfucker. Yeah. And like there's children every. <laughs> no one cares <laughs> at all. No one cares. You know, it's like every adult's drinking a 40. Yeah. And like, you know, the moms are braiding each other's hair. <laughs> and and uh, you're standing there sweating in an and outfit. And I'm sweating in a way. And it's my first one. It's yeah. trial by fire. So yeah. I don't even know. The guy gave me a tape of the hokey pokey. Yeah. And um and a costume yeah and I don't really know what the hell I'm supposed to do like, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk you weren't familiar to... with Elmo <laughs> no not super familiar with yeah. it but like but I mean like I just don't know like what uh, it was just dancing the whole time or or playing with the kids or do yeah. I play a game with them yeah. I no preparation she goes you just go a... be Elmo for an hour so <laughs> go, just live you, your... you got a bag and a tape a bag and a, and, a, and an audio cassette tape yeah <laughs> and. Uh, I remember going that one particularly, and and it really stunk. And then like the, the moment, like the moment it started to feel good, it was like the little girl whose birthday it was. Like you know, sometimes the kids were really shy, but like, yeah. she, was, she was affectionate. She she hugged me and she's like, "I love you, Elmo." And I was like, oh, "That was actually a pretty cool job." You know, yeah. it was pretty neat. Yeah. I had younger siblings, yeah. so I knew like you know I'm I'm good with kids, and I think it's pretty cool. And then like uh, like the punk kids in the neighborhood showed up. Yeah, to fucking destroy everything right. that I just built with this little girl. Yeah, and started telling everybody that I'm not the real Elmo. Yeah, and then um, and I remember he ended up staring. First of all, he called out my sneakers, which really stung. Yeah, was so I was like, I realized I was like, maybe this girl will not notice I'm wearing Nikes. Yeah, and he goes, Well, if it's the real Elmo, why is he wearing Nikes? Yeah, so I was like, fuck. Uh. And um. And then he fucked, he started looking through like the the mouth was where you could like you know if you look he, hard he you grabbed see me. your head no he didn't grab the head he's just looking he's like yeah. he's like obnoxiously looking right at my face through this little thin screen yeah that hides my face yeah and then when he realized that I was white he lifted the sleeve of the outfit and screamed Elmo's white like but like Paul revered it like you know to the left and to the right and you know and people really stopped what they were doing you know everything sort of like the record scratching like, yeah. Turn, like yeah. everyone turning around like everyone was like was like shocked that, that I was, was white. yeah that I was white yeah. and it took like the kids didn't like me anymore it was so weird like everyone just got awkward and, <laughs> and then the kid goes uh, let's see if Elmo has nuts oh no and uh, I lost him in my vision because I have like about a six inch range of vision and I lost and I remember just like my plan was to just start spinning in circles, and I just I would see him and then I wouldn't, and I would see him and I would try to go the other way and just I try to keep him in front of me, and he kicked me from behind. Yeah. He got behind me and fucking put a foot deep in my ball bag, <laughs> and it was so hot and so, and because it was so hot, I took I wasn't wearing pants. I just wore my underwear oh, underneath. God. The, he caught it was the most flush shot. Oh. 
No. I've ever taken. So what happened? In half. I went down. The mom just kept yelling at me to get up, and it was like, it was hella. And like I said before, I thought like the stripper things were going to be like the worst, but I've been equally scared at like those kids' part. Like it's really a, it's amazing how little it's, you know, and almost like in a, in a metaphor, like how just like performers, like the outside people, yeah, like, perform like it, it's it's amazing how much people who have done nothing feel obliged almost to pass any kind of a judgment in any kind of way. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's the same, like uh, like I said, I'd rather have somebody walk out of a comedy club and go, like, I fucking hated you. Yeah. Than give me, like, a scrappy little head rub and be like, good job. Yeah. Pretty good. You know, yeah, like, you want to have out, an like, impact. Love me or hate yeah, me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, walk out and want to go find everything I've ever done or walk out and fucking, you know, hope I die. But so, don't, don't walk out and think it's okay. And, like, and, like uh, those things were just, like, that's how you just felt. You just felt judged, and like they you, know, you were a piece of shit for even doing it. It's like you fucking called me here to be Elmo. Yeah. What are you angry that I'm here for? Well, when so when did you have a moment where you're like, this is fucked? I mean, was there a point where you know you're driving strippers around, you're going to kids' party dressed as Elmo, getting kicked in the balls, and you're still doing comedy, but you're wearing FUBU and taking your clothes off yeah, with a quit. thong? Huh? I was gonna quit. I was gonna walk away. And then I, what? What changed? I met I. Was oh, I was I started working at a job where I started training for a job because I, I was like I'm going to go back to college I'm going to stop there's a low ceiling on this black comedy circuit I can't you know yeah. I'm not going to become Martin Lawrence or anything and were you looked at as like one of those uh, white comics that could only play the black crowd sure absolutely and I remember when we'd go to those rooms it made me feel really you know I, I'm a relatively sensitive person because there's only a few of those guys though you know yeah well I'd go I'd go to uh, I'd go with Kurt Metzger and we'd go to these rooms he's and. Because Kurt had such good jokes and didn't dress the part, they would embrace him very much. And they would come to me, and they'd be like, hey, Kurt, I have a great set. And they'd walk up to me, and they'd go, uh, that Def Jam shit's not really going to fly here. It's like, you never even seen me perform yet. Like, I have things I want to say to an, a mainstream audience or if somebody wants to listen, to you know. And, um, and I just wasn't respected in those circles at all. And we would drive, like, an hour to go to the Stress Factory, you know, to do open mic in there. Jersey? Which was, yeah, which was, like, that was a bad open mic. And it just felt very like. And you were still doing those jokes uh, for white audiences or mixed audiences. Uh, yeah, for for black. There was only like a couple of guys. There was another guy that used to do evening at the Apollo. A Jewish guy, a white guy. There's only a few white guys that did that. I mean that 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 was their world. Yeah, it's it, it, it's a it's a hard one. To cl- but you know what? It depends who you are. I think. I think like there's something in you. Like I'm not like I'm pretty white by nature. Like you know, what I mean, I'm very like. Uh, you know, I've said Marilyn Manson in my iPod as well as like Barbara Streisand. You know, I've used that example a lot. No, I get like, it. I mean, I'm like, I'm not making like a racial judgment, but I mean, no. what what was the point? Did, was there a point where you know the like the uh, the bodybuilding thing? When did that stop? Did it tank at some point? Did it did tank bad? What do you mean? <laughs> but like, it, where it came off of though was I said I I'd, when I was going to quit. Yeah, I had to go train this job for three days, and I ended up. Uh, like on the third day of training, I got a phone call from uh, Michael Blackson, who was a comic in Philadelphia, yeah. who offered me a gig that night, and I, you know, I blindly accepted it. I, I hate to make it sound like I was going to not say no because I'm quitting comedy, but right. I was like, yeah, I'll get a different job, whatever. I'll yeah. just a day of training. I'll get some other because I was going to go back to college anyway when right. the semester started. And um, it was in Minneapolis. You know, I had to fly there, and it was like four hundred bucks, and I was like, wow, that was a huge for me. The four hundred, yeah. that'd be more, I think, at that point than I'd ever made in comedy in one shot, four hundred yeah. bucks. And I'm flying, which was exciting. Like, I've never flown to do comedy, really, at that point at all. I get to the airport, and Keith Robinson was the other comic. You know, Keith was doing it as a favor. Right. Where I'm doing it as, like, I can't believe I got this gig. Yeah. 
And Keith started talking to me, and, and you know, he, he sounded like he was very ingrained in the mainstream scene, but I didn't really believe it. I thought he was What year was shit. this? Because, I mean, yeah, Keith was, like, I know Keith. I, I When I started out, I opened for Keith. Really? Yeah, yeah. Keith, um, this was 2001. Oh, okay, yeah. It's long after, yeah. Maybe maybe even a little earlier. Maybe, like, maybe 2000. Yeah. 2001, I think. And uh, we went out to do this gig, and he's talking to me about, like, all these mainstream comics and everything, and I'm just kind of- Was it a black room? Yes. Was, okay. It was. It was. A, it was a yeah, very very black show in yeah. Minneapolis, like yeah. a dinner theater place. Right. It was, you know, a very hip hoppy, and there was a rap group went on before the comedy show yeah. and all that stuff. I mean, that was always a bit worse thing with those black shows. You knew like there was going to be trouble getting paid when like every guy who like ran the show was wearing the same football jersey. Yeah. <laughs> like, there were a rap crew also. Yeah. And, yeah, like, yeah. There was going to be problems. <laughs> oh, man. And um, this was like a pretty square deal, but and. And Keith's talking to me about all this mainstream comedy and all everybody he knows. And yeah. I, I think he's just name dropping and being full of shit, kind of. Right. And I did the show and I did the bodybuilding thing and I get naked and it went great. And he pulled me aside afterwards. And, and, and Keith did well. He did very well on the show, but Keith's not yeah. he's not doing up there going like, what's up with that new, you know, Jay-Z something. He's going up there and doing like, you know. Talks about his life. Kid, yeah, like, yeah. My mom, my yeah. whatever. He does well. Yeah. But like not like the... You know, people standing up and cheering like right. Apollo style, like right. uh, like I was getting, and I thought I was great, you know, in that regard. And he's telling me to stop doing, stop getting naked on stage. You're an idiot. Like, yeah. He's like, you're a clown. He goes, if I got up there and got down my underwear, people would laugh. They're gonna laugh more at you because you're fat, but they're gonna laugh at anyone who gets down those underwear. Yeah. And uh, it took. I was bummed about it, but I, I kind of like took it to heart, and I stopped doing it for a long time. And then uh, I got into a finals of a competition. Well, you just stopped doing it. And you just did the other jokes, and you, you, cool. was it, it? Well, you know, it's funny. I actually like, got nervous because my comedy was like my jokes aren't all that great. Yeah. At, at that point, at all, so they're doing like okay, and now I don't have this big like thing. So I did wrestle with that for a while. I remember the next week I came and I was like, "Well, I need some big closer," and my idea was to uh, I told my shitty jokes, and then I had I prepared this before I went out. I had a string around my neck. And, and I taped it to like right above my nipples. Yeah. And I tied these huge, I made a big aluminum foil rings. Yeah. And I tied them so it looked like they were like giant nipple rings. Yeah. And all for the, this is the, I mean, this was the beginning and end of the joke. I go, I go, hey guys, by the way, before I get out of here, I just got some uh, new piercings. Let me know what you think. Too much? And I just lifted up my shirt and it's like, yeah. and everyone laughed and cheered. And I was like, I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it's just the same. I might as well just be getting into my underwear again. Yeah, it's like yeah. nonsense, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's all bullshit. So, but I started to find my way a little bit, and I was trying to get some better jokes, and I was I was really working towards that. And like, You're hanging out with Kurt, who's a great joke writer. So he, absolutely, is he helping you at all? Absolutely, not with the writing so much. Not so much that he was helping me with writing, but like I can bounce the funny that I wanted to be off right. of him, right? You know, and like, and I'd make him when I when I knew I'd make him laugh with just like yeah. social observation, right, or right, conversation. I was like, well, I can do that. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm a funny guy yeah. in life, not just to black people. I yeah, and um. So I stopped doing uh, uh, the bit, and I started getting my jokes a little bit under me, but I was doing one of these black show competitions I got into, and I was in the finals. Yeah. And uh, the guy I was going against, I just thought was like better than me, and yeah. especially a black comedy. Like, yeah. You know, he's, you know, he had a whole breakdown of the hip-hop songs for yeah. people and shit. And I um, I told everyone, I was like, I'm, I'm going to bring back the bodybuilder bit. Just this once, because I'm going <laughs> to, you know, the prize was to go to St. Louis and compete again against yeah. some other shitty comics, and yeah. I wanted to go to St. Louis, and- but they put us up, the way they did the finals was on a weekend, and it's still the same black comedy club, right. but like, this is, like, 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 the Thursday, the open mics that we did, 
were more rooted in like very hip hop. It was promoted by the hip hop radio station. Right. It would be all the kids in the baggy clothes. Yeah, or, yeah. Where on the weekends, you were getting more of like the Huxtables. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was going to be like more like sweaters, like yeah. older black people, yeah. like, well, you know, a little more well-to-do and like wanting to hear more like, you know, hamburger versus like, yeah, a, yeah, you know, yeah. whatever, like <laughs> kind of shit they, uh, you know, more like the rowdy. A little, kind of a little like, highbrow. A little, yeah, a little, yeah. Maybe a little more yeah. thought for folks. Yeah. And my jokes are bombing. I went yeah. first. We're doing five minutes in front of these people. But you knew you had the, the thong in the bag there. Well, but I didn't want it. In my mind, I was like, I shouldn't, but yeah. I didn't know what else to do. Right. I didn't have my nipple rings prepared. Yeah. So I got to whip out this, uh, you know, the bit, and I started doing it, and just like every reaction to this thing was not what I expected. So the, the 2001 music, dun, Starts kicking in, and I take dun. off my shirt. And I'm used to like that shirt take off is the first mark where you're like, I'm killing. Yeah. Like the room's just obliterated yeah, with like, yeah. laughter. And it was like nothing. And after the after the timpani hits the boom, 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 boom. And there's that weird like break in silence where it builds again. <laughs> yeah. I just heard this lady go, uh she's on the side of the state, I look at her, I just catch eyes and she goes, Oh God. <laughs> and I was like, uh I started unbuckling my pants, going like I'm literally having a struggle in this next little stanza of yeah. the song going like I should just walk off. I should just be like, I'm good night. I was like, but I'm in it. Yeah. Like, I'm in it. I go, maybe the thong's going to win him back. <laughs> I drop the, the pants and I turn around. And I usually turn around with like, I'm trying to hold back my smiles, how happy I am, how much they love this. <laughs> yeah. And I turn around now, it looks like a, you know, like I was like, 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 like turn around, boy. That's yeah. what I felt like it was. I turned around, it like, was a very like nervous look on my face <laughs> to see people like, and you've seen head shaking and, yeah. and, and, you know, and, and, and what's funny is, when it's really put in, under the microscope like yeah. that, when I did it normally and it would kill, it wasn't really under a microscope. It's like, oh, this fat boy's getting naked. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Yeah. But one thing I learned about doing those black clubs and, very, and, the, and the cultural difference, as you said before, is white people, it's why like Jackass, good example, like this Jackass show, doesn't have like a humongous black following. Right. Because black people don't find a lot of humor. There's a big machismo, much more machismo in the black culture right. than, than definitely in the white culture. Right. Or at least in basic white culture, but, yeah. you know, there's much more machismo. So like, they don't like like if you told a black guy like say, "Man, suck my dick," like that means way worse to them than like "fuck you." Right. You know, guys cock slapping each other doesn't yeah. really make them. They think it's just gay. Yeah. And now when it's under the microscope and no one's on board laughing, they're taking in now how gay this feels that a fat guy's getting naked in front of them. <laughs> yeah. So you see these guys with their heads in their hands and people leaving, like oh they're my walking God. out. Yeah. And then, you know, going to complain, like, is this, there's a fat guy naked on stage, like, that's what he does. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and when I'm standing there and the pants came down, that next, you know, the crescendo hits and I'm used to like, just like, I mean, people at that point usually were standing up. Yeah. Cheering. Yeah. Clap, and it was dead silence. And, uh, and I look over and just say, you and just hear, I didn't see this person, but I heard a voice go like, Jesus Christ, like upset that I'm doing it. Yeah. And when the music cuts out and I'm there posing, you know, I never factored in my mind there was a day this would go bad. Yeah. And that, what do I do if there's silence to that? I didn't have anything. So I would just say, good night. I'm Big J. Good night. And uh, it was nothing. And just this, we- it felt like three minutes. It was probably 10 seconds yeah. of just nothingness. And then uh, just a voice in the back of the room just goes, what the fuck? <laughs> and I didn't have an answer. I didn't even say good night on Big J. I just pulled my pants up. <laughs> like ashamed? And w- yeah, I had no idea what to do. Met- when I got in the back, Metzger was laughing his stomach was hurting he's yeah. been like 
He goes, you should have just walked off with your pants still around your ankles, just like Duck walked it off, like in total embarrassment and shame. And I was like, he's right. <laughs> and, that, he and that was the last time I never even tried to do it. Oh, again. God. So somehow or another- the, And nor would I. I mean, like I said before, it's like the, 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 the beauty of this But that's why you needed that. You needed the baptism and failure to, to take the next step. So is that when you moved to New York? It, it, yeah, you know. yeah. You got into the clubs, and you know, you met a tell, and people started digging you. I mean, and you got in with those. You guys. Know, it's interesting. You said uh, being influenced by like a tell was like you know, especially when you start off and you're like one of the new guys. And like, yeah. there's always like people who, like if you're doing well at all, yeah, or you're getting better, like yeah. the people, all the people come out of Woolworth that, that hate you and they tell you why you're doing so good. And, like, yeah. you know, and Keith Robinson gave me advice in the beginning. He goes. Look, he goes, you don't have to worry about like writing your, you know, manifesto yet of what you're going to do. He goes, get your 15 minutes that works and work it. Yeah. Like work it hard. Yeah. And then when you're in everywhere and there's a confidence in you, you the can rest do whatever you want. Right. You can do whatever you want. You know, I I, I barely do material at yeah. comedy set so now in the city. I just talk to the crowd, see where it goes. Yeah. Know? But, um, and you know, when Kurt would tell me, he goes, yeah, they were saying like, uh, you know, Kurt would be like, oh, Jay's getting, he's into the comic strip now and staying up in New York. And they'd be like, yeah, doing the same 15 minutes. He's like, yeah, but he's getting in, like, to yeah. the play, you know, he's getting the work now. And um, all that kind of like, uh, like hatred, like, comes your way from yeah. fucking people. And like, uh, that was the big dig on me was they'd go, uh, he's just doing a tell. Yeah. He's just doing a tell. He only sounds like a tell. And um, maybe one of the reasons why I was able to kind of develop my own voice from it was my first instinct on that when they said that was to like, attack the problem. And I, w- I went right to David Tell. And I said, I keep getting told that I just sound exactly like you and I'm just doing what you do. Like, can you watch me? And if you have anything, please, I'd, I'd love to hear it. And he watched me at the cellar. And he was like, you know, in his own way, he was like giggling, but he was like, he was still, he was still smoking side there. Yeah. He was like, I remember, I remember watching him like intently because I, I admired him so yeah. much. And he's like, mm, mm-hmm, you know, <laughs> it very, looks very like almost nonchalant. I was like, this may be going bad. And I, yeah. went, I went out in the hallway afterwards. I go, what'd you think? And... Let me tell you, maybe because he thought, maybe because he thought I did sound like him, yeah. and maybe because he thought I didn't. But he yeah. goes, "What are you doing uh, two weekends from now? You want to open for me at a uh, stress factory?" And I went, "Yeah." And from that point, I became like a, you know, one of his like staple like guys yeah. like, on the road with him. Yeah. And that guy's done, I mean, an enormous amount of things for me in my career. I mean, he's really been a, a huge help, and like being able to watch him and kind of just study what he does. But like, for whatever it is, like, yeah. I, but I never, you know, when people used to say I never denied it. I was like, look, I'm a guy who inspires me, but like, I mean, I don't do. I don't even have the ability to do what he does. Like he's a stand-up. I mean, he's like a set-up punch, set-up punch, set-up yeah. punch. Like I, my things are way more wordy. Well, I think that it was a cadence thing, but you sure, know, it no, turn- absolutely, absolutely. But it turns out that you and Kurt that there's something um, unique about that Philly accent. Like you guys both talk sort of the mm-hmm. same, and Attell's got sort of a Long Island thing. But it's it's just a pace. But you you and Kurt both talk like that, and I remember I realized like they can't both be. It's it's from where they are. Yeah, I mean, you talk like. From Philly, yeah, that was absolutely. That's what it was. It was funny, and then like, I always like uh, I'd have to make people feel better, like Joe DeRosa, yeah, people like that would come, and I'd remember like you know, you'd go, he's like, I auditioned the comic strip. They said I just sound like you and Kurt. And I was yeah. like, well, we heard we just sound like David Tell, so yeah. I go, it's always going to happen. Is DeRosa just, from Philly? Things. Yeah, yeah, it's it, that's interesting because it's, 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 slight, it's slightly different than Long Island, but it's not that far away. No, that's not at all. Yeah, it's absolutely, and they do it. And when I hear guys. Even young guys now that come up from uh, yeah. Philly, like they do. Everyone has like, the same like, accent. It's, it's, what it's it got is, nothing yeah. to do with it. So, all right. So now, like, it's interesting that the path you've traveled from driving strippers around and stripping uh, down to uh, your thong underwear. But now you like you're, you're here in LA. You're staying at some house with some band dudes, and yeah. you're, so you're no longer opening for a tell, but you're doing rock shows. 
Yeah, well, I, I got an opportunity that I said yes to last summer before I even thought about like what it was going to encompass. But yeah. uh, uh, the band Corn, yeah, it was like a big, big uh, heavy metal band. Are you a fan of theirs? Yeah, man, big. You're a big heavy metal guy. Yeah, I'm a music guy in general, yeah. but yeah, I do love like heavy metal a yeah. lot, and I'm a big fan of Corn. I've paid to see them numbers of times in yeah. my life. And they said I can go out on tour opening for them. And, you know, blindly, I go, yes, like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Why yeah. would I not do that? But then, like, you know, was two weeks before it happened, you know, I'm like, oh, this may be horrendous. Like, I- I'm going to go out for th- – and really what it was is I don't know how many times it's been done, like a comic really touring with a band. I know comics have opened It's not an easy band. gig. It's a tough gig. And I was like, all I wanted was I didn't want to fail at the job. I have no fear of, like, bombing or doing – I could talk. Like, that was one of my favorite pinnacle or, or, or uh, milestones in comedy, I thought – was it realized like if I had to do an hour to headline somewhere, could I bomb for an hour? Like, could I comfortably sit there and I can? Yeah. Because like, I, I, I'll make the staff laugh or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like right. having some kind of confidence that, like, look, it's, I know what yeah, I'm doing. Yeah, it's good to know you can stay on stage for an hour no matter what. Right. And that's, yeah. and that's big. So I wasn't, bad. I just didn't want to, I didn't want to be in the middle of that tour be like, yeah, yeah. we're going to send you home, buddy. It's yeah. Like, no. The guy who failed on the cruise. Right. <laughs> as soon as we dock. Yeah. You're goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're not going to be reboarding you. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. And it went, um, it went great. Like it was surprisingly, surprisingly well. They could focus. I, the ca- the audience that was there could focus. And I just kind of figured out how to. Like I, I very easily, I realized I was like, I didn't try to go up there and be sticky, which I'm not sticky, but so I, I tried to make sure I didn't go up yeah. there sticky at all and like go just bouncing the jokes right away. Right. Like I just tried to like assassinate the front row as much yeah. as I could. And yeah. Like, get them listening you know and cheerlead a little bit and it's interesting I, people like I, uh some people went out on tours after me did it like when they saw this let me do it like they yeah were, and, and it's not like you know by by set number two they're like hey who wants a free hat and, you yeah. know, i was like they told me they go you could do giveaways you could do games with the crowd do whatever yeah like, and i go well i'm not gonna waste three months of my life like doing fucking giveaway i go if i'm gonna do it like i'd rather live and die by like making them laugh like yeah. doing my stuff and it went just I don't know it worked well like I, I try to whenever someone would heckle out and the first tour I did was smaller venues it was three months but it was two tours yeah and the first one was like 2,000 theaters um, like little theaters but then I did Mayhem Fest which was like 14 bands I did my first set at 1.15 in the afternoon and then 6pm and then uh, right before Rob Zombie went on yeah on the main stage I'd go in front of 25,000 people and um, there's nothing like it. In the world. I mean, I, and again, it's not ideal. Like, I don't envy, like, uh, you know, like the Dane Cook, like, you know, sold at Madison Square Garden. Like, I don't know if I want to do comedy in Madison Square Garden. I mean, it's an amazing accomplishment. Yeah. But I mean, like, I don't know if I want it. Like, I like the intimacy of. Yeah. But there is something about, like, you know, I always save this, like, one particular bit for uh, for the, that, that last set when it was in front of, like, the 25. Because the first set would be, like, 2,000 people. Yeah. The second one, maybe, like, right. three or 4,000. And then 25,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I would just save his bit. And there's something about, like, I mean, if you can capture half that crowd. And what was cool is when I go on YouTube and you could see a, a guy video phoning it from the lawn. And you hear the people around him laugh. And you're like, wow. Like, I was able to hit that. I had no idea because it just seemed nightmarish. And then I became cool with uh, the camera guys for the screens. Yeah. And then I told him, I go, hey, when someone heckles... That's me. That's very me, my own personality and my own flaw, maybe, yeah. or, or maybe it's a good virtue. I don't know. But if someone would like heckle, like I don't run from it. Like, Twenty five thousand people. No one hears this shithead right here. Yeah, but I do. Yeah. 
So I'd acknowledge it, and I'd get the camera guys would put him on the screen so I could just deconstruct him, and the lawn does see it. And yeah. Just like, that was the best. I mean, like- Did you kill? It went great. Two, Virginia Beach and North Carolina, I'll never forget, were two shows where just they weren't that interested, and I got like a core of people to laugh, yeah. but like, but the other ones, I mean, like, when I hit the pot, I mean, like, 25, you know, it wasn't all of them, obviously. I can't even imagine it, yeah. And what a feeling, man. It was yeah. really- uh it really is amazing. I mean, at the end of the day, I couldn't wait to get back to comedy clubs because I want to, like, you know, well, yeah, it's a whole talk different to, I want to talk to people. Yeah, and I want to yeah. like, be more intimate and, like, tell a Could personal story. Could you imagine story. if you were doing the 2001 bit? 25,000 people. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that would have been... And then everybody communally yells the end, what the fuck? <laughs> well, you come a long way, buddy. I'm glad things are going all right for you. It is, man. I'm, I'm out here in L.A. in the garage. Yeah. One of the just coolest things I I thought, cause, you know, I, I listen to this podcast all the time. And, yeah. I, and, you know, I've known you for some years now. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm, you know, for what it's worth, I'm proud of you for what you've done here. And, uh, uh, and I thought one of the, the coolest, uh, the coolest, like, wording of something ever. I was like, you said, you're going to be in L.A. anytime soon? And I said, I'll be out there in two weeks. You go, hey, man, come on out in the garage. <laughs> I think that's the coolest way to put that. I thought that was so badass. I was, I was excited to do it ever since, man. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, Thank do you, you feel much. good about it? I love Yeah, dude, this was great. All right, I thanks, talk Jay. comedy with you for four more hours if you want. Well, it was great seeing you, man. Absolutely, brother. Well, that's our show, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. Jay's got some good stories. Go see Jay whenever you can. Big Jay Okerson. He's out there. He's got things on the internet. He's on Twitter. Do it. Thank you for listening. Oh, wait. Let's do this since I am drinking it. Yeah, I'm not always drinking, you know. Sometimes I'm doing it with water. Uh, so we'll be behind the scenes for you. Pow! Look out! Just shit my pants. Boomer. Boomer. You got two seconds. Thank you for listening. Please go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Uh, get on that mailing list. Kick in a few shekels. We still take donations. They are helpful. We are <laughs> running a business here to some degree, as you know. If you have app problems, go to WTF at gmail.com. Drop me an email if you're having some issues with the new app or the upgrading of the new app. And please uh, check out the merch. Put a new poster in there. Are we okay? Are we good? Are we good? Boomy. I think that cat uh, doesn't like me anymore.